chapter six of the life of washington volume three by john marshall this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter six south carolina invaded the british fleet passes the bar and gets possession of the harbor of charleston opinion of general washington on the propriety of defending that place sir henry clinton invests the town tarleton surprises an american corps at monk's corner fort moultrie surrendered tarleton defeats colonel white general lincoln capitulates buford defeated arrangements for the government of south carolina and georgia sir henry clinton embarks for new york general gates takes command of the southern army is defeated near camden death of de kalb success of general sumter he is defeated seventeen eighty the departure of the french fleet produced a sudden change in the prospects of the southern states the sanguine hopes which had been entertained of the recovery of georgia gave place to gloomy and well-founded apprehensions for south carolina the facility with which general prevost had passed through the state and the assurances he had received of the indisposition of a large portion of the people to defend themselves disclosed too certainly the true situation of the country not to convince all discerning men that a real attempt at conquest would be made the ensuing year general lincoln perceived the approaching danger without being able to provide against it his power as military commander was too limited and his influence on the government of the state too weak to draw forth even the means it possessed in time for its protection though the preservation of its metropolis was of vast importance to the state no preparations were making to put it in a condition to stand a siege the forts on the islands were in ruins and the works across the neck remained unfinished the representations made on this subject to the governor by general lincoln were not disregarded but from some defect in the existing law the executive found it impracticable to obtain labor for these interesting objects admiral arbuthnot arrived at savannah on the thirty first of january january twenty three one of his transports which had been separated from the fleet in a storm was brought into charleston harbor on the twenty third of that month and the prisoners gave the first certain intelligence that the expedition from new york was destined against the capital of south carolina before the middle of february the fleet entered the harbor or inlet of north adisto and landed the troops without opposition on st john's island sir henry clinton invests charleston a part of the fleet was sent round to blockade the harbor of charleston while the army proceeded slowly and cautiously from stono creek to wapukut and through the islands of st john and st james this delay in the event so fatal but then deemed so propitious to the american arms was employed to the utmost advantage in improving the defence of charleston the legislature had enabled the executive to employ slaves to work on the fortifications and had passed an act delegating great powers to the governor and such of his council as he could conveniently consult under these acts six hundred slaves were employed on the works and vigorous though not very successful measures were taken by the executive to assemble the militia of the country the fallacious hope was entertained that if the town could be rendered defensible the garrison would be made sufficiently strong by reinforcements from the north and by the militia of the state to maintain the place and compel sir henry clinton to raise the siege the american army being too weak to make any serious opposition to the progress of the british through the country the cavalry with a small corps of infantry were directed to hover on their left flank and the other troops consisting of about fourteen hundred regulars fit for duty 
aided by the militia were drawn into the town and employed on the works understanding that great exertions were making to improve the fortifications and that the garrison was gaining strength sir henry clinton ordered general patterson to join him with the troops which could be spared from georgia and directed lieutenant colonel tarleton after supplying the horses which had been lost during a very stormy voyage from new york to cover his march through south carolina colonel washington defeats tarleton in one of the excursions of that active officer to disperse the militia who assembled to oppose the progress of patterson through the country his cavalry encountered lieutenant colonel washington who commanded the remnant of baylor's regiment and were driven back with some loss but the want of infantry disabled washington from pressing his advantage in defending charleston the command of the harbor is of great importance to preserve this advantage congress had ordered four frigates to south carolina which with the marine force belonging to the state and two french vessels were placed under the command of commodore whipple general washington was the more sanguine in the hope of defending the harbor because it was understood that the bar was impassable by a ship of the line and that even a large frigate could not be brought over it without first taking out her guns or careening her so much that the crew would be unable to work her on sounding within the bar it was discovered that the water was too shallow for the frigates to act with any effect and that in making the attempt they would be exposed to the fire of the batteries which the assailants had erected under these circumstances the officers of the navy were unanimously of opinion that no successful opposition could be made at the bar and that the fleet might act more advantageously in concert with the fort on sullivan's island the intention of disputing the passage over the bar being abandoned commodore whipple moored his squadron in a line with fort moultrie in a narrow passage between sullivan's island and the middle ground and the british ships without their guns passed the bar and anchored in five fathom hole it being now thought impossible to prevent the fleet from passing fort moultrie and taking such stations in cooper river as would enable them to rake the batteries on shore and to close that communication between the town and country the plan of defence was once more changed and the armed vessels were carried into the mouth of cooper river and sunk in a line from the town to shoot's folly this was the critical moment for evacuating the town the loss of the harbour rendered the defence of the place if not desperate so improbable that the hope to maintain it could not have been rationally entertained by a person who was not deceived by the expectation of aids much more considerable than were actually received opinion of general washington on the subject of defending charleston when this state of things was communicated to general washington by lieutenant colonel lawrence he said in reply the impracticability of defending the bar i fear amounts to the loss of the town and garrison at this distance it is impossible to judge for you i have the greatest confidence in general lincoln's prudence but it really appears to me that the propriety of attempting to defend the town depended on the probability of defending the bar and that when this ceased the attempt ought to have been relinquished in this however i suspend a definitive judgment and wish you to consider what i say as confidential unfortunately this letter did not arrive in time to influence the conduct of the besieged april one having crossed ashley river sir henry clinton moved down the neck and on the night of the first of april broke ground within eight hundred yards of the american lines 
the defences of charleston had been constructed under the direction of a mr low may a french gentleman in the american service and although not calculated to resist a regular siege were far from being contemptible while the besiegers were employed on their first parallel the garrison received a considerable reinforcement general woodford who had marched from morristown in december entered the town with the old continental troops of the virginia line now reduced to seven hundred effectives general hogan with the line of north carolina had arrived before him the garrison consisted of rather more than two thousand regular troops of about one thousand north carolina militia and of the citizens of charleston the exertions of the governor to bring in the militia of south carolina had not succeeded april nine by the ninth of april sir henry clinton completed his first parallel extending across the neck and mounted his guns in battery his works formed an oblique line from six to seven hundred yards distant from those of the besieged about the same time admiral Abarthnot passed sullivan's island under a heavy and well-directed fire from fort moultrie then commanded by colonel pinckney and anchored under james island near fort johnson just out of gunshot of the batteries of the town being now in complete possession of the harbor the british general and admiral sent a joint summons to general lincoln demanding the surrender of the town to which he returned his firm and modest answer sixty days have elapsed since it has been known that your intentions against this town were hostile in which time has been afforded to abandon it but duty and inclination point to the propriety of supporting it to the last extremity on receiving this answer the besiegers opened their batteries but seemed to rely principally on proceeding by sap quite into the american lines about this time the governor with half the members of the council went into the country in the hope of collecting a respectable force in the rear and on the left flank of the besieging army the lieutenant-governor and the other members of the council remained in town hitherto sir henry clinton had not extended his lines north of charleston neck and the communication of the garrison with the country northeast of cooper remained open the american cavalry under the command of general huger had passed that river and were stationed in the neighborhood of monk's corner about thirty miles above charleston as an additional security to this the only remaining communication two posts of militia were established one between the cooper and the santee rivers to which the governor repaired in person and another at a ferry on the santee where boats were to be collected for the purpose of facilitating the passage of the american army over that river should it be deemed advisable to evacuate the town such importance was attached to this object that lincoln after woodford had entered charleston detached a part of his regular troops to throw up some works about nine miles above the town on wando the eastern branch of cooper and on lampreyers point the militia it was hoped though unwilling to enter charleston might be drawn to these posts april fourteenth after the fleet had entered the harbor sir henry clinton turned his attention to the country on the east of cooper to acquire the possession of which it was necessary to disable the american cavalry this service was committed to lieutenant colonel webster who detached tarleton with a horse and a corps of infantry to execute it he succeeded completely tarleton's surprises and defeats an american corps at monk's corner conducted in the night through unfrequented paths to the american vedettes he entered the camp with them killed and took about one hundred men and dispersed the residue who saved themselves on foot in a swamp near fifty wagons loaded with military stores and about four hundred horses fell into the hands of the victors this decisive blow gave lieutenant-colonel webster possession of the whole country between cooper and wando and closed the only 
route by which the garrison could have retreated the besiegers had now commenced their second parallel and it became every day more apparent that the town must ultimately yield to their regular approaches an evacuation was proposed and lincoln is understood to have been in favor of that measure but the remonstrances of the principal inhabitants who entreated him not to abandon them to the fury of a disappointed enemy added to the great difficulty which must attend such an attempt especially when opposed by the civil government deterred him from adopting the only course which afforded even a probability by saving his army of saving the southern states soon after the affair at monk's corner sir henry clinton received a reinforcement of three thousand men from new york this addition to his strength enabled him to detach largely to the aid of lieutenant colonel webster after which lord cornwallis took command of the troops on that side of cooper river april twenty upon this change of situation lincoln called another council of war notwithstanding the multiplied difficulties attending an evacuation of charleston he appears to have been still inclined to it but a number of fortunate circumstances must have concurred to render a retreat possible and the attempt was effectually prevented by the opposition of the civil government the opinion seems to have prevailed that the escape of the garrison would be followed by the destruction of the town and the ruin of its inhabitants the council advised that a capitulation should be proposed and that the town should be surrendered on condition that the garrison should be at liberty still to bear arms and that the inhabitants should be secured in their persons and property these propositions being rejected hostilities recommenced the besiegers had completed their second parallel and had begun the third when colonel henderson made a vigorous sally on their right which was attended with some success that this was the only sortie made during the siege is to be ascribed to the weakness of the garrison general lincoln deemed it necessary to reserve all his strength to man his lines in the event of an assault or to force a retreat should he determine to evacuate the city in this state of things general du Portail, who had been directed to join the southern army was conducted by secret ways into the town he perceived the impossibility of defending the place and repeated the proposition for attempting a retreat this proposition was again rejected and it only remained to defer the surrender as long as possible in the vain hope that some fortunate occurrence might bring relief every day diminished this hope and added to the difficulties of the besieged the garrison at fort moultrie surrendered themselves prisoners of war the admiral took possession of mount pleasant which induced the immediate evacuation of lampreer's point soon after which the garrison at fort moultrie amounting to about two hundred men surrendered themselves prisoners of war on the same day the cavalry which had escaped the disaster at monk's corner and had been reassembled under the command of colonel white of new jersey was again surprised and defeated by lieutenant colonel tarleton at lanos ferry the investment of the town was now complete the advances were rapid and it became obvious that the place could be defended only a few days longer the besiegers had finished their third parallel and by a sap pushed to the dam that supplied the canal with water had drained it in many places to the bottom the garrison fatigued and worn out with constant duty was too weak to man the line sufficiently their guns were almost all dismounted most of the embrasures demolished their shot nearly expended their provisions with the exception of a few cows entirely consumed and the approaches of the besiegers so near that their marksmen frequently picked off the men from the guns and killed any person who showed himself above the works in this state of things the garrison was summoned a second time to surrender on which a council was again called which advised a capitulation in pursuance of this advice general lincoln proposed terms which were refused and hostilities recommenced the besiegers now advanced their works in front of their third parallel crossed the canal pushed a double sap to the inside of the abatis 
and approached within twenty yards of the american works preparations for an assault by sea and land were making with less than three thousand men many of whom were militia lines three miles in extent were to be defended against the flower of the british army assisted by a powerful maritime force convinced that success was not possible the citizens prepared a petition to general lincoln entreating him to surrender the town on the terms which had been offered by the besiegers general lincoln capitulates this proposition was made and accepted and the capitulation was signed on the twelfth of may may twelfth the town and all public stores were surrendered the garrison as well as the citizens who had borne arms as the continental troops militia and sailors were to be prisoners of war the garrison were to march out of town and to deposit their arms in front of their works but their drums were not to beat a british march nor their colors to be reversed the militia were to retire to their homes on parole and their persons and property as well as the persons and property of the inhabitants of the town to be secure while they adhered to their paroles these terms being agreed on the garrison laid down their arms and general leslie was appointed to take possession of the town the defence of charleston was obstinate but not bloody the besiegers conducted their approaches with great caution and the besieged too weak to hazard repeated sorties kept within their lines the loss on both sides was nearly equal that of the british was seventy-six killed and one hundred and eighty-nine wounded and that of the americans excluding the inhabitants of the town not bearing arms was ninety-two killed and one hundred and forty-eight wounded from the official returns made to sir henry clinton by his deputy adjutant-general the number of prisoners exclusive of sailors amounted to five thousand six hundred and eighteen men this report however presents a very incorrect view of the real strength of the garrison it includes every male adult inhabitant of the town the precise number of privates in the continental regiments according to the report made to congress by general lincoln was one thousand nine hundred and seventy-seven of whom five hundred were in the hospital the unfortunate are generally condemned and the loss of the garrison of charleston so maimed the force and palsied the operations of the american government in the south that censure was unsparingly bestowed on the officer who had undertaken and persevered in the defence of that place in his justificatory letter to the commander-in-chief general lincoln detailed at large the motives of his conduct and stated the testimony in which those delusive hopes of substantial assistance were founded which tempted him to remain in town until the unexpected arrival of the reinforcement from new york deprived him of the power to leave it the importance of that great mart of the southern states which have become the depot for the country to a considerable extent around it the magazines and military stores there collected which from the difficulty of obtaining wagons could not be removed the ships of war which must be sacrificed should the town be evacuated the intention of congress that the place should be defended the assurances received that the garrison should be made up to ten thousand men of whom nearly one-half would be regular troops the anxious solicitude of the government of south carolina all concurred to induce the adoption of a measure which in its consequences was extremely pernicious to the united states in the opinion of those who were best enabled to judge of his conduct general lincoln appears to have been completely justified the confidence of his government and the esteem of the commander-in-chief sustained no diminution sir henry clinton was aware of the impression his conquest had made and of the value of the first moment succeeding it calculating on the advantages to be derived from showing an irresistible force in various parts of the country at the same time he made three large detachments from his army the first and most considerable towards the frontiers of north carolina the second to pass the saluda to ninety six and the third up the savannah towards augusta 
lord cornwallis who commanded the northern detachment received intelligence soon after passing the santee that colonel buford with about four hundred men was retreating in perfect security towards north carolina he detached lieutenant colonel tarleton with his legion the infantry being mounted in pursuit of this party buford defeated that officer by making a movement of near one hundred miles in two days overtook buford in a line of march at the waxhaws and demanded a surrender on the terms which had been granted to the garrison of charleston this was refused while the flags were passing tarleton continued to make his dispositions for the assault and the instant the truce was over his cavalry made a furious charge on the americans who had received no orders to engage and who seemed to have been uncertain whether to defend themselves or not in this state of dismay and confusion some fired on the assailants while others threw down their arms and begged for quarter none was given colonel buford escaped with a few cavalry and about one hundred infantry who were in advance saved themselves by flight but the regiment was almost demolished tarleton in his official report says that one hundred and thirteen were killed on the spot one hundred and fifty so badly wounded as to be incapable of being moved and fifty-three were brought away as prisoners the loss of the british was five killed and fourteen wounded tarleton gives a very different account of the circumstances which preceded this massacre he says that the demand for a surrender was made long before buford was overtaken and was answered by a defiance that on overtaking him the british vanguard made prisoners of a sergeant and four light dragoons in the presence of the two commanders who immediately prepared for action that as he advanced to the charge when within fifty paces the american infantry presented and were commanded by their officers to retain their fire until the british cavalry should be nearer the american officers who survived the carnage of the day generally assert that flags passed after being overtaken that they had received no orders from colonel buford when the charge was made and that the fire of their troops was retained until the enemy was upon them because they did not think themselves authorized to give it the facts that buford's field pieces were not discharged and that the loss was so very unequal are not to be reconciled with the idea of deliberate preparation for battle and justify the belief that the statement made by the american officers is correct after the defeat of buford scarcely the semblance of opposition remained in south carolina and georgia the military force employed by congress was nearly destroyed the spirit of resistance seemed entirely broken and a general disposition to submit to the victor displayed itself in almost every part of the country the two other detachments saw no appearance of an enemy they received the submission of the inhabitants who either became neutral by giving their paroles not to bear arms against his britannic majesty or took the oaths of allegiance and resumed the character of british subjects to keep up this disposition garrisons were posted in different stations and a series of measures was pursued for the purpose of settling the civil affairs of the province and of giving stability to the conquests which had been made sir henry clinton takes measures for settling the government of south carolina and georgia june three so entirely did the present aspect of affairs convince sir henry clinton of the complete subjugation of the state and of the favorable disposition of the people towards the british government that he ventured to issue a proclamation in which he discharged the militia who were prisoners from their paroles with the exception of those who were taken in charleston and fort moultrie and restored them to all the rights and duties of british subjects declaring at the same time that such of them as should neglect to return to their allegiance should be considered and treated as enemies and rebels this proclamation disclosed to the inhabitants their real situation it proved that a state of neutrality was not within their reach that the evils of war were unavoidable that they must arrange themselves on the one side or the other and that the only alternative presented to them was to drive the enemy out of their country or take up arms against their countrymen june five 
with the most sanguine hopes that the southern states would be reunited to the british empire sir henry clinton embarked for new york leaving about four thousand british troops in south carolina under the command of lord cornwallis his lordship found it necessary to suspend the expedition he had meditated against north carolina the impossibility of supporting an army in that state before harvest as well as the intense heat of the season required his delay his first care was to distribute his troops through south carolina and the upper parts of georgia so as to promote the great and immediate objects of enlisting the young men who were willing to join his standard of arranging the plan of a militia and of collecting magazines at convenient places in the meantime he dispatched emissaries to his friends in north carolina to inform them of the necessary delay of his expedition into their country and to request them to attend to their harvest collect provisions and remain quiet until late in august or early in september when the king's troops would be ready to enter the province the impatience of the royalists stimulated by the triumph of their friends in a neighboring state and by the necessary severities of a vigilant government could not be restrained by this salutary council anticipating the immediate superiority of their party they could not brook the authority exercised over them and broke out into premature and ill-concerted insurrections which were vigorously encountered and generally suppressed one body of them however amounting to about eight hundred men led by colonel bryan marched down the east side of the yadkin to a british post at the chiraz whence they proceeded to camden having made his dispositions and fixed on camden as the place for his principal magazines cornwallis left the command of the frontiers to lord rawdon and retired to charleston for the purpose of making those farther arrangements of a civil nature which the state of affairs and the interest of his sovereign might require his lordship as well as sir henry clinton seems to have supposed the state of south carolina to be as completely subdued in sentiment as in appearance impatient to derive active aids from the new conquest his measures were calculated to admit of no neutrality for some time these measures seemed to succeed and professions of loyalty were made in every quarter but under this imposing exterior lurked a mass of concealed discontent to which every day furnished new aliment and which waited only for a proper occasion to show itself the people of the lower parts of south carolina though far from being united were generally attached to the revolution and had entered into the war with zeal they were conducted by a high-spirited and intelligent gentry who ardently sought independence as a real and permanent good several causes had combined to suspend the operation of this sentiment many of their leaders were prisoners and the brilliant successes of the british arms had filled numbers with despair others were sensible of the inutility of present resistance and a still greater number fatigued and harassed with militia duty were willing to withdraw from the conflict and as spectators to wait its issue to compel these men to share the burdens of the war was to restore them to their former friends late in march general washington had obtained the consent of congress to reinforce the southern army with the troops of maryland and delaware and with the first regiment of artillery this detachment was to be commanded by the baron de kalb a german veteran who had engaged early in the service of the united states such however was the deranged state of american finances and such the depression of public credit that these troops could not be put immediately in motion they were at length embarked at the head of elk and conveyed by water to petersburg in virginia whence they marched toward south carolina their progress was delayed by that difficulty of obtaining subsistence which had induced lord cornwallis to suspend the invasion of north carolina until harvest should be gathered 
no preparations having been made for them they were reduced to the necessity of spreading themselves over the country in small detachments to collect corn and grind it for their daily food in this manner they proceeded through the upper parts of north carolina to deep river and encamped near buffalo ford in july at this place the baron halted for a few days in some uncertainty respecting his future course the militia of north carolina commanded by general caswell were beyond the padee on the road to camden and had nearly consumed the scanty supplies which could be gleaned from a country that was far from being productive the baron was premeditating on a plan for leaving the direct road and moving up the country to the fertile banks of the yadkin when the approach of major-general gates was announced by the arrival of his aide-de-camp major armstrong aware of the danger to which the loss of charleston had exposed that part of the confederacy congress deemed it of the utmost importance to select a general for that department in whom great military talents should be combined with that weight of character which might enable him to draw out the resources of the country general gates appointed to the command of the southern army july they turned their eyes on gates and sanguine hopes were entertained that the conqueror of burgoyne would prove the savior of the southern states on the thirteenth of june he was called to the command in the southern department and was directed to repair immediately to the army he entered without loss of time on the duties of his station and on the twenty fifth of july reached the camp where he was received by the baron de kalb with the utmost cordiality and respect the approach of this army and the information that great exertions were making in virginia to augment it revived the hopes of south carolina and brought again into action a spirit supposed to be extinguished the british troops having occupied the northwestern parts of the state the most active friends of the revolution in that quarter had fled from their homes and sought an asylum in north carolina and virginia as the discontents of their countrymen increased and the prospect of being supported by regular troops brightened a small body of these exiles amounting to less than two hundred assembled together and choosing colonel sumter an old continental officer for their chief entered south carolina they skirmished with the royal militia and small corps of regulars on the frontiers sometimes successfully and always with the active courage of men fighting for the recovery of their property the followers of sumter were soon augmented to six hundred men and a disposition once more to take up arms showed itself in various parts of the state some corps of militia which had been embodied under the authority of lord cornwallis deserted his standard and joined their countrymen perceiving this change of temper the british general thought it necessary to draw in his outposts and to collect his troops into larger bodies on taking command of the southern army general gates directed the troops to hold themselves in readiness to march at a moment's warning and on the morning of the twenty seventh put the whole in motion disregarding the judicious remonstrances which were made to him against pursuing the direct road he determined on taking the nearest route to the advanced post of the british on lynch's creek a few miles from camden the motives assigned by himself for passing through this barren country were the necessity of uniting with caswell who had evaded the orders repeatedly given him to join the army the danger of dispiriting the troops and intimidating the people of the country by pursuing a route not leading directly towards the enemy and the assurances he had received that supplies would overtake him and would be prepared for him on the road these assurances were not fulfilled and the country being still more barren than had been anticipated the distress of the army was extreme the soldiers subsisted on a few lean cattle found in the woods and a very scanty supply of green corn and peaches august thirteenth encouraged by the example of their officers who shared all their sufferings and checked occasional murmurs they struggled through these difficulties and after effecting a junction with general caswell and with lieutenant-colonel porterfield the army reached claremont 
sometimes called rugeley's mills on the thirteenth of august possession was taken of this place without any opposition from lord rawdon who on the approach of the american army drew in his outposts and assembled all his forces at camden the day after the arrival of gates at claremont he was joined by seven hundred militia from virginia commanded by brigadier general stevens an officer of considerable merit who during the campaigns of seventeen seventy seven and seventeen seventy eight had commanded a continental regiment on the same day an express arrived from colonel sumter with information that an escort of clothing ammunition and other stores for the garrison at camden was on the way from ninety six and must pass the wateree at a ferry about a mile from camden which was covered by a small redoubt on the opposite side of the river one hundred regular infantry with two brass field pieces were immediately detached to join colonel sumter who was ordered to reduce the redoubt and to intercept the convoy to attract the attention of the garrison in camden and thus cooperate with the expedition under sumter it was determined in a council of general officers to put the army in motion that evening and to take a post about seven miles from camden with a deep creek in front the sick the heavy baggage and the military stores were ordered under a guard to wax halls and the army was directed to be in readiness to march precisely at ten in the evening in the following order colonel armand's legion composed the van porterfield's light infantry reinforced by a company of picked men from stevens's brigade covered the right flank of the legion while major armstrong's light infantry of north carolina militia reinforced in like manner from caswell's division covered the left the maryland division followed by the north carolina and virginia militia with the artillery composed the main body and rear guard and the volunteer cavalry were equally distributed on the flanks of the baggage in the event of an attack in front by the british cavalry the infantry on the flanks were directed to march up and to continue their fire on the assailants it was supposed they would enable colonel armand to resist the shock and his orders were posited to maintain his ground against the cavalry whatever their numbers might be at the time of communicating these orders to colonel otho h williams the deputy adjutant-general gates showed him a rough estimate of the army making it upwards of seven thousand convinced that this estimate was exaggerated colonel williams availed himself of his means of information to make an abstract of the whole which he presented to the general and which exhibited exactly three thousand and fifty-two in the column of present fit for duty of whom more than two-thirds were militia gates expressed some surprise at the numbers but said there are enough for our purpose and directed the orders to be issued to the army about ten at night the line of march was taken up and the army had advanced about half way to camden when a firing commenced in front intelligence of the approach of the american army and of the defection of the country between p d and the black river had been communicated to lord cornwallis and had induced him to hasten in person to camden which place he reached the day gates arrived at claremont the british army did not much exceed two thousand men of whom about nineteen hundred were regulars but as the whole country was rising lord cornwallis apprehended that every day would strengthen his enemy and therefore determined to attack him in his camp hoping by a prompt execution of this resolution to surprise him by one of those caprices of fortune on which great events often depend he marched from camden to attack gates in claremont at the very hour that gates moved from that place towards camden august sixteenth about half-past two in the morning the advanced parties of the hostile armies to their mutual surprise met in the woods and began to skirmish with each other some of armand's cavalry being wounded by the first fire threw the others into disorder and the whole recoiled so suddenly that the first maryland regiment composing the front of the column was broken and the whole line thrown into consternation from this first impression the raw troops never recovered the light infantry however particularly porterfield's corps behaved so well as to check the advance of the british unfortunately their gallant commander received a mortal wound which compelled him to leave his regiment 
yet a part of it kept its ground and with the aid of the legion infantry stopped the british van upon which order was restored to the american army the officers were immediately employed in forming a line of battle in front the maryland division including the troops of delaware were on the right the north carolina militia in the centre and the virginia militia on the left in this rencontre some prisoners were made from one of whom colonel williams drew the information that the british army consisting of near three thousand men commanded by lord cornwallis in person was in full march five or six hundred yards in front this intelligence was immediately communicated to general gates who had supposed lord cornwallis to be still in charleston the general officers were assembled in the rear of the line and this information submitted to them after a short silence stevens said gentlemen is it not too late to do anything but fight no other advice being given general gates who seems to have been himself disposed to risk a battle directed the officers to repair to their respective commands the ground on which the army was drawn up was so narrowed by a marsh on each flank as to admit of removing the first maryland brigade so as to form a second line about two hundred yards in rear of the first the artillery was placed in the centre of the first line and armstrong's light infantry was ordered to cover a small interval between the flank of the left wing and the marsh frequent skirmishes occurred during the night between the advanced parties with scarcely any other effect than to discover the situation of the armies evince the intention of the generals and serve as a prelude to the events of the succeeding morning at dawn of day the british appeared in front advancing in column lieutenant-colonel webster commanded on the right and lord rawdon on the left the seventy-first regiment composed the reserve four field-pieces were attached to the left and one to the corps de reserve captain singleton opened some field-pieces on the front of the column at the distance of about two hundred yards soon after which the american left was ordered to commence the action it was then perceived that the british right was advancing in line and as stevens led on his brigade in good order colonel williams advanced in front with a few volunteers intending by a partial fire to extort that of the enemy at some distance and thereby diminish its effect on the militia the experiment did not succeed the british rushed forward with great impetuosity firing and huzzowing at the same time and the terrified militia disregarding the exertions of stevens who in the firm tone of courage endeavoured to inspire them with confidence in the bayonets they had just received threw down their loaded muskets fled from the field with the utmost precipitation and were followed by the light infantry of armstrong the whole north carolina division except one regiment commanded by colonel dixon an old continental officer which was posted nearest the continental troops followed the shameful example other parts of the same brigade which was commanded by gregory paused for an instant but the terror of their brethren was soon communicated to them and they also threw away their arms and sought for safety in flight their general while endeavouring to rally them was dangerously wounded tarleton's legion charged them as they broke and pursued them in their flight gates in person assisted by their generals made several efforts to rally the militia but the alarm in their rear still continuing they poured on like a torrent and bore him with them he hastened with general caswell to claremont in the hope of stopping a sufficient number of them at their old encampment to cover the retreat of the continental troops but this hope was entirely disappointed believing the continental troops also to be dispersed he gave up all as lost and retreated with a few friends to charlotte about eighty miles from the field of battle where he left general caswell to assemble the neighbouring militia and proceeded himself to hillsborough in order to concert some plan of farther defence with the government entirely deserted by the militia who composed the whole centre and left wing of the army the continental troops with the baron de kalb at their head were left without orders under circumstances which might have justified a retreat but taking counsel from their courage and seeing only the path of duty they preferred the honourable and dangerous part of maintaining their position 
they were charged by lord rawdon about the time the militia on their left were broken by webster but the charge was received with unexpected firmness the bayonet was occasionally resorted to by both parties and the conflict was maintained for near three-quarters of an hour with equal obstinacy during this time the regiment on the left of the second maryland brigade being covered by the reserve so that it could be only engaged in front gained ground and made prisoners the reserve having its left entirely exposed was flanked by the british right wing under webster who after detaching a part of his cavalry and light infantry in pursuit of the flying militia wheeled on that brigade and attacking it in front and round the left flank threw it into some disorder the soldiers were however quickly rallied and renewed the action with unimpaired spirit overpowered by numbers they were again broken and by the exertion of their officers were again formed so as still to maintain the combat and still to cover the flank of their brethren of the second brigade who were in a manner blended with the enemy and who kept up a desperate conflict in the hope of yet obtaining the victory the fire of the whole british army was now directed against these two devoted brigades they had not lost an inch of ground when lord cornwallis perceiving that they were without cavalry pushed his dragoons upon them and at the same instant charged them with the bayonet these gallant troops were no longer able to keep the field they were at length broken and as they did not give way until intermingled with the enemy they dispersed and fled in confusion before they were reduced to this last extremity the baron de kalb who fought on foot with the second maryland brigade fell under eleven wounds his aide-de-camp lieutenant colonel du bison received him in his arms announced his rank and nation to the surrounding foe and begged that they would spare his life while thus generously exposing himself to save his friend he received several wounds and with his general was taken prisoner death of de kalb the baron expired in a few hours and spent his last breath in dictating a letter expressing the warmest affection for the officers and men of his division and the most exalted admiration of their courage and good conduct never was a victory more complete every corps was broken and dispersed in the woods the general officers were divided from their men and except rutherford of the north carolina militia who was made a prisoner reached charlotte at different times colonel williams who witnessed the whole battle and bore a conspicuous part in it concludes his very animated description of it with the observation that if in this affair the militia fled too soon the regulars may be thought almost as blamable for remaining too long in the field especially after all hope of victory must have been despaired of he censures freely the conduct of the brigadiers who gave he says no orders whatever to their brigades about two hundred wagons with a great part of the baggage military stores small arms and all the artillery fell into the hands of the conqueror the loss of men could never be accurately ascertained as no returns were received from the militia of the north carolina division between three and four hundred were made prisoners and between sixty and one hundred were wounded of the virginia militia three were wounded on the field and as they were the first to fly not many were taken for the numbers engaged the loss sustained by the regulars was considerable it amounted to between three and four hundred men of whom a large portion were officers the british accounts state the loss of the american army at eight or nine hundred killed and about one thousand prisoners while their own is said to be only three hundred and twenty-five of whom two hundred and forty-five were wounded although many of the militia were killed during the flight this account is probably exaggerated it would seem to that while continental troops kept the field the loss on both sides in that part of the action must have been nearly equal on his retreat the day of the battle general gates received information of the complete success of sumter that officer had on the evening that lord cornwallis marched from camden reduced the redoubt on the watery captured the guard and intercepted the escort with the stores this gleam of light cheered the dark gloom which enveloped his affairs but for a moment he was soon informed that his corps also was defeated and entirely dispersed on hearing of the disaster which had befallen gates sumter began to retreat up the south side of the watery believing himself out of danger he had halted on the twenty eighth during the heat of the day 
near the catawba ford to give his harassed troops some repose august eighteenth at that place he was overtaken by tarleton who had been detached in pursuit of him on the morning of the seventeenth and who advancing with his accustomed celerity entered the american camp so suddenly as in a great measure to cut off the men from their arms some slight resistance made from behind the wagons was soon overcome and the americans fled precipitately to the river and woods between three and four hundred of men were killed and wounded their baggage artillery arms and ammunition were lost and the prisoners and stores they had taken were recovered this advantage was gained with the loss of only nine men killed and six wounded two vedettes had been placed by sumter on the road along which tarleton had advanced who fired upon his van and killed one of his dragoons upon which they were both sabred we are informed by colonel tarleton that the inquiries made by sumter respecting the two shots were answered by an assurance from an officer just returned from the advanced sentries that the militia were firing at cattle august nineteenth intelligence of this disaster reached charlotte next day general smallwood and gist were then arrived at that place and about one hundred and fifty straggling dispirited and half-famished officers and soldiers had also dropped in it was thought advisable to retreat immediately to salisbury from that place general gates directed the remnant of the troops to march to hillsborough where he was endeavoring to assemble another army which might enable him yet to contend for the southern states End of chapter six